Where do you suppose a wolf came from? They're coming to get you, Barbara. An excellent day for an exorcism. Man wouldn't do that. This isn't a man. Let's you tear your soul apart. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. First of all, a happy Halloween to you, Mr. Eric. Happy Halloween, Christopher. <laughs> that was my attempt to do uh, Dracula. I can't believe Halloween is here because it felt like yesterday it wasn't here. <laughs> <laughs> the month of October always goes by really fast. I feel like there's never enough time to do what you want to do for Halloween. So that's interesting that you say that. What would be the main thing that you want to do more of during Halloween? Me, it's watch movies consistently. Unfortunately, I work... 50 hours a week. Yeah. I wish I had more money to go to haunted houses and haunted tours of things. I always wanted to take like a downtown tour of... Oh, uh, well, me and Holly did that. Uh, my fiance did that a couple years ago. And if you don't drink, it's not as fun because everyone else is drunk oh. on these tours. <laughs> That's terrible, though, drinking, celebrating death. It's awesome. I saw where people got killed and I was drunk and I was like, cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the feeling I have this season, more than anything else, I don't feel too Halloween-y. I don't know if it's because I didn't watch enough horror movies. I don't know if it's the fact that Christmas Christmas stuff was present oh, during Halloween gosh. stuff. But that I feel, is annoying. I feel like I'm waiting for Halloween to go into full swing. I feel like not enough houses were decorated. I didn't see enough horror movies. Christmas stuff was present throughout the entire Halloween season. Chris is absolutely right. The Halloween de- decorations came out, but they were quickly followed by... Uh, Christmas decorations and I'm pretty sure Target had their Christmas decorations out at the same time or started bringing them out because yeah. in the seasonal aisle behind the Halloween shit I saw some Christmas stuff and it really pissed me off I actually got physically angry <laughs> when I was with Holly we were actually at Walmart and I like I said if you look at it god damn it I swear to god no, that's what I, yeah, every time I go Christmas is up, I'm like, don't go in the aisle, don't go in the don't aisle. look at it. It hasn't officially started yet if you go in the aisle. It's like Christmas, fuck off. You have six months as it is that people well, it's celebrate. Not, it's corporate America really trying to make a buck, damn it. <laughs> Halloween is slowly deflating as we get older. Do you mean honestly for everyone or do you mean just because of our age group? No, I mean, as a season, it's it's dying. I mean, right now, we're recording in the city, and on the way here, how many decorations did you see? Oh, there's, like, barely any. It's sad. I mean, I look out our window here, there's absolutely nothing. Yeah. My, na- my neighborhood usually has uh, a handful of really cool houses that decorate, and this year, it was nothing. It was kind of disappointing. But let's get a little bit more positive. Uh, last weekend, we had our horror Yes, that's the one thing that I always love doing is watching movies. And we actually debuted our second annual horror fest. And the choices of movies were a surprise. And the assembly of snacks were delish. Well, uh, my choices for the second annual horror this year was uh, Night of the Creeps and Night of the Comet. And mine, Exorcist 3... I never seen it. Chris never saw it. No. Everybody was a virgin to Exorcist 3. And we also watched... House of a Thousand Corpses. House of a Thousand Corpses. Rob Zombie's first movie? Yeah. I mean, for me and Holly, 
And I think Chris, too, now, I mean, it's become a Halloween tradition to watch that movie. It's a really fun movie. And I, I think Brie liked it, your your lady. I think she was surprised by it. I think she was a little polarized because there's there's nothing quite like it. It's a little uh, strange if you're not used to Rob Zombie or that type of filmmaking. But, yeah, it was. Uh, I think she enjoyed it. <laughs> Freaks of nature? Well, then come on down to Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, see the alligator boy. Ride my famous murder ride. Most of all, don't forget to take home some of my tasty fried chicken. Ha <laughs> ha! It just tastes so damn good. So I'm going by the order we've seen them. Uh, the second movie we've seen was Night of the Creeps, which seemed to lose some of you. Night of the Creeps was written and directed by uh, Fred Decker, who did The Monster Squad. What did you think of Night of the Creeps? All right, I'll be honest. I enjoyed it, but it felt like a really long time when it opened up in the 50s, and then it went to, you know, modern day at the time was the 80s. Yeah. Tom Atkins? <laughs> <laughs> He's ridiculous. He's a ridiculous person in that movie, and uh, it was enjoyable, but uh, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah. But I thought it was cool. The special effects, the uh, the slugs were so damn cool. Anything that's kind of like creepy and crawly and slimy when it comes to these body horror films, I really enjoy, so I really got a kick out of that. It was good to see once, right? I mean, that's yeah, all. Yeah, oh, 100%. 110%. I mean, so it was really creative. Good choices. It's a, Yeah, it's a good tongue-in-cheek movie with a lot of little Easter eggs, making fun of the plot, making... And a lot of oh, the yeah, characters... Oh, yeah, very self-aware. Yeah, and a lot of the characters are named after famous horror creators and directors. So, yeah, it's a good movie, Night of the Creeps. The night of the formal is finally here. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girl. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Night of the Creeps. They are a new breed of terror. They get in through your mouth and you walk around while they incubate. Night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead. And the third choice now was something we're very pleased with, Eric. What was the third choice that we chose to watch? Exorcist 3. This movie really, for me and Chris, it really shook us. We're like total fans. I bought it on DVD the night of. Which um, was a very good decision, in my opinion. I would totally buy it on DVD. Yeah, I just actually, uh, Scream Factory just released it on uh, Blu-ray. So there's a special edition because, as you guys know, it's the official sequel to the original Exorcist. It was directed by w William Peter Blatty, the original creator and the original writer of the book and the movie. He completely ignores the second movie. It complements the first movie so well. It's its own movie. You know what I mean? Definitely. It uh, It's basically a detective story. It follows Detective Kinderman from the first movie. Brad Dorif is in it as well. He plays the Gemini killer or maybe something else. The relationship between Father Dyer and Kinderman, yeah. that dialogue... I wish we were like, I can't wait. When we get older, that's how we're talking, man. I mean, think about the amount of screen time mm -hmm. that they shared together. And to be honest, it wasn't much. In that short amount of screen time, you got the feeling that they were these great old friends. And it, the dialogue was sharp and it was real. It, it reminded me of Aaron Sorkin, the guy that did Social Network, West Wing. Um, he's got the really fast dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely, like, if I was teaching a film school class or a screenwriting class, I would definitely use William Peter Blatty's dialogue and his pacing as perfect dialogue. After seeing that movie, I always loved Brad Dourif, but I would say after seeing that movie, he has to be one of the most underrated, uh, not only actors in horror, but like actors, period. That guy's fantastic. There's a director's cut, and we didn't see the director's cut. The director's cut is even closer to what Blatty wants. The The final exorcism scene mm -hmm. wasn't an idea he wanted to do. The studio really pressured him. And I thought that was really interesting because without that final exorcism scene, what is there yeah. for a payoff? Yeah, that and was the climax of the movie, essentially. And that's what kind of made it an exorcist movie. So here's a little bit of trivia I want to read, so bear with me. William Peter Blatty made the film based on his novel Legion, which was published in 1983. So Morgan Creek, the production company, decided to call it Exorcist Legion. That was the original title. Even though the screenplay and novel featured no exorcisms whatsoever... After principal photography was completed, the misleading nature of the title was noticed, and the producers determined that additional scenes needed to be written and then added into the film in order to make it more recognizable as a sequel to 1973's Exorcist. Hmm. So it was a last-minute thing, and also they changed the title from Exorcist Legion 
to The Exorcist three. I want to say a month or weeks before sh- uh, it released. But I yeah, feel it, I feel like it should have been called Exorcist Legion if it was a true sequel. If this was modern day, yeah, they would have done that no problem. I mean, this was a serious horror film. So I mean, it was like The Shining serious horror film, right? There's no proper sequel to it. What are you going to call it? The Shining 2? Yeah. You know, The Shining Returns? Shinier? Usually these sequels in 1983, you had Nightmare, Michael Myers, Jason. Couldn't really make a serious sequel out of a horror movie at that time. That's what I believe. So yeah, The Exorcist 3, it definitely surprised me. Definitely a, a favorite now. I would say it would be a Halloween tradition. And I'm looking forward to watching the director's cut. 17 years ago, an extraordinary motion picture touched our most profound, nameless fears. Do you dare walk these steps again? Death be not proud, nor canst thou kill me. And the fourth and final picture that we chose for our horror was a choice by me, a little film called Night of the Comet, 1984. This was surprising. Directed and written by Fom Erbehart. Night of the Comet is one of those movies that it's not the most mainstream horror movie, but the people who like it really like it. I got a kick out of it because the main character is this female. She's female, not this female, but she's female, right? If this happened in modern days, they would let you know that. You know, they would slap feminism across your face. Oh, yes. And make you drink it and you'll drown in it. This one was she was already a badass. They never really focused on her being a female you know what i mean it's, how, it's gr- how gender should be portrayed in movies and it's that it doesn't make a big deal about gender right just like in uh, force awakens yeah how ray is just she just happens to this be is girl. just our main character but yeah her performance was so cool she kicked ass the music was so cool as well i would definitely buy the uh the soundtrack it was definitely a product of its time but i think that uh it aged very well and i think it's a very entertaining movie from start to finish it's funny it reminded me of like Dawn of the Dead and stuff. How there's like yeah. a, there's a, a, a subtext to it to everything. This one did a little bit better, in my opinion, than George Romero ever did. Absolutely serious. It took it, it took that like 1980s gimme generation Valley Girl complex and it put it in a I guess you could say zombie apocalypse. It was it was more of a uh, yeah. But these apocalypse. zombies were smart. These zombies were self aware. They were just infected. So I would, yeah. I would almost call them infected. If if you're not into it in the first 10-15 minutes then you're not a human being <laughs> basically it was just cool it was really different it was refreshing definitely see it night of the comet did you ever wonder what it would be like to be one of the last people on earth we're talking ghost town who would you see there's nobody i mean there's nobody ah! what would you do hey i'm sorry if the end of the world makes me a little nervous ah! where would you go the stars are up ahead <laughs> Well, get ready to find out, because the comet is coming into your orbit. The legal drinking age is now 10, but you will need ID. Let's be real. It's the night of the comet. What do you give me if I come back? Texas. Night of the comet. I'll be taking requests from all you teenage comet zombies. But yeah, that was, I mean, that was our horathon. That was our second annual horathon. I'm looking forward to our third annual horathon next year. I want, I really wanted to show you guys the remake of The Blob and possibly Frankenhooker, which that doesn't mean we still can't do it, but I'm just saying I would have loved to have seen everyone's reaction right. to what's your favorite out of the four we've seen this year? Exorcist 3. I agree. Exorcist 3. All right, let's go kiss. So, <laughs> So uh, let's move on to some horror headlines and some horror in the news we have going on. So another big headline that's making news is the Friday the 13th. It's not a reboot. It's a sequel, I assume. It has locked down its location and film date, actually. Which is actually kind of cool because it's scheduled to come out next year, October 13th, which, of course, is a Friday. Wow. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Brad Fuller's behind it, you know, Platinum Dunes uh, producer. The only thing that kind of uh, bums me out should have been found footage. Brad Fuller says that, he says Jason is a point of view movie. He says that he, you love to see the victims and the camp from his perspective, so that's why he didn't want to make it a found footage movie. And I kind of agree with that. I don't think that Friday the 13th needs to go the trendy found footage route. I think that it should stay what it is because that's what the fans want. And if anything, I hope he adds some dimension to the franchise. And I hope he... uh, What dimension? The last movie was a catastrophe. Well, hopefully he learns from his mistakes. 
I, I wasn't a big fan of the reboot either. I look forward to seeing Jason on screen. I know uh, we're not the biggest Friday the 13th fans, but I uh, look forward to seeing Jason again. The, the writer, uh, Aaron Guzikowski, I believe, mm-hmm. he wrote this movie called Prisoners. Okay. I saw it a couple years ago. It's got Hugh Jackman in it and um, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, exactly. right. Okay, I know the movie you're talking about. It was about. so good. They did things that were that really pushed the envelope. Aaron uh, Guzikowski, excuse me if I butcher your name, really knows how to develop a dramatic script. So with his credentials, I can see it, I guess, like you were saying before, putting an extra dimension into Friday the 13th, but I don't want it to be a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. You just got to add some... Uh dimensions to your victims essentially because friday the 13th is kind of known for its yeah cardboard but I wanna, victims. oh it's my sister she used to work yeah. here and now it's a fucking terrible family reunion i mean the new movie it's shooting early spring it's going to be released october 13th 2017 so we're looking forward to that believe it or not absolutely 15 16 For terror is not over. Friday the 13th, part two, rated R. Now the next bit of news. We always try to fit in some awesome toy news or uh, video game news. They're actually coming out with a Halloween 6 action figure. The Curse of Michael Myers. Halloween 6 is the one with Paul Rudd. That's why I kind of think it's weird. Maybe we can get a... Well, we could finally have a Michael Myers to fight our Ant-Man figures. <laughs> it's So 3-0, three, three the, the toy company, they released a poster, if you will. And at first look, when I saw it, the Michael Myers masks, that mask, it doesn't look like Michael Myers. His masks have oh, changed know, throughout the movies. They don't look like this. Do you know what he looks like? The dude with the bleeding eye from Casino Royale. <laughs> Oh, Le Chiffre. Yeah, Le Chiffre. <laughs> and he's also, yeah, the bad guy in the new uh, Doctor Strange movie. Yes. I think it's the the chin and the lips. He's kind of got those pursed lips. Yeah. I mean, I'll definitely uh, wait till they reveal more of it. Michael Myers' merchandise is so rare. It's and the merchandise dark. that they have, the few merchandise and figures they released, go for like like 70 to $200 online for just an action figure. It's kind of ridiculous. Right. I mean, I don't think they released the uh, the amount, how much this bad boy is going to cost. So once again, that company, 3-0, spelled out. Check it out. They don't say a release date, oddly enough. Yeah, it is kind of strange. Maybe they're waiting on um, the new movie to come out. I'll definitely look forward to it. Speaking of action figures, man, if you can wish for one poor action figure, what would it be? I get a Sammy Kerr figure, man. Oh, oh shit. shit. Dude, play some Sammy Kerr. It wouldn't be the It's Alive podcast without some Universal Monster news. Finally, we get some more news. There's a little tidbit that's being released about the Bride of Frankenstein remake, reboot? I don't know exactly what to say. Part of the Universal Monster shared universe. Uh, Jurassic Park screenwriter David Coop, also, I mean, Indiana Jones. He can handle his pages very well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, They asked him about his interpretation of The Bride of Frankenstein, which he is apparently writing. But uh, this is what he revealed. He revealed that The Bride of Frankenstein will be the protagonist in a feminist tale where men attempt to control the monster. He says that it's one of his favorite scripts that he's written in years, because if you reimagine the Frankenstein story, it gets into so many issues of men trying to feel dominant over women. How do you feel about that? (sighs) garbage this is horror i don't give a shit about how men feel over women women feel over men i don't give it i don't care about that stuff i honestly don't because it's a waste of time you're subjecting me to to your opinion i'm sorry it's just it's garbage he goes on to say that it was very liberating to write this character because she's dead but she's not a zombie 
She's a super intelligent creature. Oh, really? That's contradicting. I don't. I don't quite know where we got super intelligent from. I mean, I, obviously, that's the character he's. She couldn't written. even talk. So what? Oh, she... men bad, women good. Yeah. Thank you. I love David Coop. Uh, it's awesome that he's writing Universal Monsters movie, especially The Bride of Frankenstein. I'm also very happy that uh, he mentioned that. The Bride of Frankenstein is going to be the protagonist in the movie because she's such an iconic character and she has such little screen time and she does barely anything. So it's pretty cool that we're going to get a movie that focuses on her. The problem is is that you don't need to really bring a feminist agenda into this, especially the Universal Monsters shared universe. Um, we mentioned how Night of the Comet didn't make a big deal about gender. I feel right. that should be. I feel that should be the point of the Bride of Frankenstein. I feel like she should be a classic monster. It doesn't matter what her gender is. She should just be a classic monster. I hope. I hope to God that they don't make her some victim because you know I don't want to see a classic Universal monster movie painted with a political agenda. I don't, man. Just stay away from me, please. I mean that's fair, right? No, it's fair. Leave them, I can't. Yes, go. You live. Go. You stay. We belong dead. Let's move on. Let's move on to some more positive Universal Monster news. It seems like we're always we always get ourselves in a negative angle here. But the Wolfman, also part of the Universal Shared Monster Universe. If I had a dime. For every time I said Universal Monster Shared Universe, I can get into these movies for free for the next five years. They apparently got a, quote, really fun writer to pen the new Universal Monster Wolfman movie. He's kooky. We all know, I mean, with David Co-op, or Cope, whatever, the new Mummy movie with uh, Tom Cruise, and uh, from my understanding, what my gut is telling me, we're getting a action-packed franchise. It's I, going yeah. the way of uh, Penny Dreadful, by way of Highway to fucking Marvel Universe. We've mentioned it since episode one. I mean, it's episode nine, and we pretty much said that the Universal Monsters are going to be going the action route, even though since day one they said that the Universal Monster movies will be back to their horror roots, which I think was a bunch of bullshit, to be honest. Um, they For the new Wolfman movie... Yeah, why, why do they need to trick people? I mean, like, there's going to be seven people that are interested. Well, I don't, think they knew, I don't think they knew the route they were going when they announced it. I think they're playing it by ear. I think they're a bunch of morons. So they announced that Dave Callahan will work on the script for the new film based on the 1941 Universal Studios movie. He penned all four Expendable films. If that tells That's you it's not I'm action. That's what I'm talking about. The Expendables are awesome throwaway action films. Uh, he also wrote the story for Godzilla, which doesn't really impress me too much because the thing I hated the most about the movie was the story. So muddled. So apparently this article is pointing that it's they're going for fun, which I don't quite know how the story for Godzilla is for fun. But he's seemed to be written more funny comedy action than actual serious action. So people are assuming he's going for the fun route. How do you feel about a fun action Wolfman movie? I don't want that. But do I have a choice? Fine. But, I mean, are you going to do, what, American um, Werewolf in London? No, because that's going to... I mean, that movie is such a perfect blend of horror and comedy. And if they do that with Wolfman in a cinematic universe with all these characters... It's going to be goofy. How many puberty jokes do you think we're going to get in the new Wolfman movie? It's going to Okay, they already made a, a great Wolfman comedy called Teen Wolf. Why don't we just show Teen Wolf and put it into the Universal Monster universe? I'm mad now. Just play some wolf music, please. Let's move on to some more positive news. So a pretty cool headline that took place with the one and only Robert England. Robert England uh, spoke to Florida Today, of all places. So he was digging into some Nightmare on Elm Street memories, and they brought up the idea of a sequel, obviously, which everybody brings up, I assume, every day. And Robert England had an idea for a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel that was actually pretty darn cool. It was really damn cool. If you want, I'm going to give you a, a yeah, let's lay down a brief idea. Yeah, um, this comes from Freddy Krueger's mouth. So from the, yeah. this is pretty damn cool. From the mouth of Freddy Krueger himself, he said, If I were in control of my own Nightmare on Elm Street movie, 
I have an idea I'd like to see. He, he goes on, I thought it would be great if the children of previous victims or kids who grew up hearing stories about Freddy Krueger were each haunted by their own version of him. Kids who grew up hearing stories about this Freddy Krueger character and the awful things he did envisioned him in their own way, and it is that version that begins to haunt them. Some people may picture him as a stout man, another envision him as tall and thin, another with a different hat or sweater. He could have different gloves or even a glove with small razor blades as referred to in the first movie. It'd be very neat to see different interpretations of Freddy Krueger based on these children's visions and what they are to them. I think that's a really cool idea. It's ingenious. It reminds me of that one Batman. Yes, there's a there's a Batman animated series episode called Tales of the Dark Knight. Yes. Where, which has a bunch of Gotham Street kids walking around talking about their own interpretations of Batman. Yeah, we get different interpretations of Batman through the years, from the campy Adam West Batman to the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns Batman. So, I mean, applying that to Freddy Krueger, I think would be a really cool vision. Yeah, it would be really cool, because I can imagine, you know, we spend an hour seeing all these different versions, and then somehow, some way, the ultimate Freddy comes out. He just slowly walks out of the boiler room scene or whatever. He, you know, throws up his hand with his glove, and he delivers a line, and the light hits him and you see that it's actually you know Robert England it's classic Freddy which would yeah. be cool because that's what the fans want it would be really cool to deliver that you know so this article really triggered our Freddy boner if you will uh, Freddy, Freddy Krueger uh, I would say is definitely one of the front runners for me personal that personally they got me into horror um, yeah same here man I know I texted you about it and we were talking Nightmare on Elm Street which we realized we haven't done in, a, in a, quite a long time, actually. They mean you really bonded we, on that Yes, together. yes, we, we bonded did. over it. I would say the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, for me personally, is something that took horror fandom to a new level. Nightmare on Elm Street, though we kind of like you know poke fun at everything around it, we do love it, and it's close to our hearts. After uh, hearing about Robert England's pitch of his personal Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, I figured it'd be kind of a fun project as two big Nightmare on Elm Street fans to pitch our own proposed sequel for Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, our sequels have themes. For instance, Eric is pitching a new franchise, something that would continue the Freddy Krueger legacy on, and I kind of chose to do one last hurrah for Nightmare on Elm Street. If there were going to be one last movie, how would it be? And I just figured it would be something, a fun little project we can do, just talk about briefly. Well, I wanted to do mine loosely, and maybe you can fill some gaps in. Yeah, definitely. So I can start off with mine, basically to kick off a new franchise. After seeing Exorcist 3, I really like the idea of the of a killer going around that's supposed to be dead, right? Okay. So if that happened in Springwood, you know, around Springwood High, that would be really cool. This idea that a serial killer, mysterious serial killer is killing random people, but they're all, all the deaths are resembling Freddy. There's four slash marks and they're basically stabbed in that sort of fashion. And I was inspired because of, you know, Exorcist 3. So I would kind of make it a little bit of a procedural film, if you will, but I want to keep the lightness of the originals, which is kind of weird with what I'm thinking of. So I eventually want a bunch of group of kids investigating the lore of Freddy. So would this take place in modern day? It would be modern day. So these kids go to this uh, um, this house in Springwood and I don't even have a name for him but there's this guy that they talk to and um, he's kind of like the town weirdo okay. and the town weirdo ends up being Kincaid oh. and is like what is he now 50? So he's yeah, just he's, probably, really, yeah. he's not dead so this ignores what happens in Nightmare on Street 4 so he's not dead so he knows all this stuff and he basically tells everybody that Freddy Cougar is real and you have to kick some ass so he says you guys have to train basically in the dream world yeah. and cue the fucking 80s guitar. They become the dream warriors, you know, part two. And they basically hunt Freddy because Freddy is in the dream world, the dream demon. I don't. I was thinking the dream demons kind of, you know, took his soul away, prevented him from being powerful because he kept on sucking at his job. But uh, you discover that there's something um, strange about the nightmare world. Okay. So you discover that it's not Freddy that is doing these killings. It's an actual person who's inspired by somebody, basically like a possession thing or something. In the second movie, Coach Schneider, yeah, his soul is possessed, and Freddy is making him do these things so Coach Schneider can bring back Freddy. Because Coach Schneider, you know, hide the fact he's a pedophile. <laughs> he he took Jesse into the just because after he hours. hangs out at bondage bars. No, no. After hours, Jesse went to go grab a drink. After hours, he told Jesse to go to you know run laps at the high school. I see. I always thought that was a dream sequence. No, man, it was real. 
Coach Snyder died because I know it, now that you're talking so about Coach it, it makes Snyder, sense. Yeah. I think he was this evil fucking character. So Coach Snyder is basically this the hammer that drives home to bring Freddy back, basically. So Coach Snyder's soul, he's trying to be like Freddy, but he's just not all powerful. He's being he's a puppet for Freddy. And that So Coach Snyder is this mur- this Gemini esque murderer? No, 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 no. This Gemini-esque murderer. I don't know where I was going with this. It's fine. It's just it's so, just loose pitches. It's Jesse from the second one because he's insane. He's batshit insane. So it all makes sense. So he somehow is um, Jesse's dreaming of Coach Schneider, and uh, it all comes together somehow. I just want fucking Kincaid to fucking kick ass in Dreamland one more time. And basically, it's a it's an all out battle with all these kids. Very campy, not very campy, but pretty damn campy. And it's Dream Warriors, basically the new age for the Dream Warriors. And yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. Okay, if you so feel into no, I'm trying. To, no, I'm, let me organize your thoughts here because I'm gonna lay out this pitch that you have. So essentially, this is a sequel to Nightmare on Elm Street Three: The Dream Warriors. Yes. And you essentially have a group of kids roaming around so Springwood being like the kids. Scooby Doo kids. Yeah, but getting on kids. adventures. I, when I say kids, I imagine, like you said before, I imagine them being like uh, Stranger Things. Stranger age. Things, yeah, Absolutely. legit children. And because there's these recent killings are using Freddy Krueger-esque ways of murdering their victims, right. these kids are looking into it. And it's then when they stumble upon essentially the, the town crazy guy that you know has a cardboard sign, does whatever, you find out that's Kincaid. Yeah, man. The original <laughs> dream warrior. And he essentially tells him, you kids aren't having crazy kid thoughts that your parents are dismissing. What you're thinking about is real Absolutely. because I battled them. Yes. So he takes them in. He trains them in a way you can have an awesome montage where he's training yes, these kids. Yes, an awesome montage. They can be running back and forth you know, to their parents. Their parents can be saying, you know, why are you home so late? But, you know, we've been hanging out with Kincaid. It almost would work as a TV series because it's so, like... Like a mini, like, like a Stranger Things, like eight or nine episode, an hour a piece. Absolutely, yeah. So essentially, this old dream warrior. I would look, right, this old dream warrior preps them. There's very little dream sequence. Very little. It's more about building right, the presence that third of Freddy. Act, yeah. That is classic Nightmare on Elm Street, right? So they go to the, you know, in the dreamland, it's the boiler room. Um, You see this Coach Schneider, which I don't think anybody would remember, but it would be a little nod. It would be a little nod, yeah, and, if you're a fan. Um, he doesn't even say anything. It's just like there's no cool things. He just extends his arms like he's getting crucified. And Freddy just bursts from Coach Schneider's chest, just like in the second one. He's there. He's finally, he needs to kill kids. He bursts through Jesse in the second one. I know. So that's that whole scene. So he'd be bursting idea. through the Snyder this time. Yeah, okay. so he goes through Snyder within a dream. So he kills him within his dream. He basically sacrifices himself. Schneider does, you know, for glorious evil, whatever the dream demons promised him. So basically, Freddy needs to kill a bunch of people and uh, to get back. To where he was. So your Freddy in in your pitch is see the classic Robert England Freddy same oh, yeah, look and absolutely. everything. Absolutely, yeah. He's not. I'm going with classic because that's what works. Eventually, um, of course, they stop him from uh, getting to full power, but not before they kill Kincaid. Of course, and, Kincaid uh, has yeah, to die. Yeah. So I wanted to end because all these movies they always end with Freddy dying. So basically, they they grab his shirt or something and they bring it to the real world when they all wake up. They wake up inside Kincaid's house. And they realize that, you know, this shit's on. You know, we got to fight. The rest of the series would be them trying to fight Freddy and stop him and stuff. Because I think it would be awesome if we slowly start introducing other characters from the original series. You're disregarding, kind of, what came after 3, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, Eventually, the ultimate goal is to find Nancy. Nancy dies at the end of Dream Warriors. I know she dies, but... In the comic book, there's a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, comic book series, and actually, uh, when he kills Nancy in the movies, uh, they make her almost an angelic power. Yes, I heard about that. I don't really want that, but they need her combat him in the end or something. But yeah, I don't want to talk about, like, every single fucking movie in no, the franchise there's, there's too much. But yeah, I just want the Dream Warriors to come come back. A new generation of Dream yeah, Warriors. Yeah, because it was cool. I just thought of, I just thought it would be cool if they all had the same jacket. Yeah. And there were these bunch of misfits, so it was almost like a breakfast club type of thing. So what would happen to Jesse and I mean since you you essentially have have them battling the you know Freddy Krueger, which a lot of people in my opinion would see was be bullshit in the oh. neighborhood. So what are they right. doing to the, what are they doing with this r- real killer? Is Freddy going to do something to Jesse because he was using him as a tool? Uh, are we going to find out that he was possessed? Or I mean, what happens exactly? I think it would be really cool if Jesse... He was under Coach Schneider's possession, possession basically. Yeah. 
who's being influenced. He's already kind of out of it, right? Uh, they stop Jesse from murdering somebody, right? Jesse gets arrested, and he's kind of like, it's done. His storyline's done. Yeah. But in the end, they go to the uh, hospital from the third movie. Okay. The original Dream Warriors were. Yeah. Talk to him. He's out, he's you know back to normal. He he can be their way to help. Jesse can redeem himself because he wasn't really a bad guy. He was just right, and he was a cool character, and they didn't do anything with him besides make him gay. Do you have so, an idea of anything you would call the movie? No, it's going to be a Nightmare on Street. There would be no number involved. I assume it would just be. No, I didn't really think about that. I mean, maybe, but if I really you wanted can, to. If you want to go with the campy names, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street isn't really a nuanced horror film. I mean, they got the Dream, Dream Warriors kick back. <laughs> yeah, so, like it can, I mean, you got to think like, oh, Freddy's Revenge, the Dream Warriors, the Dream Master, Freddy's right. Dead. I mean, it doesn't have to be something like subtle, how everything is nowadays, where it's like, oh, subtlety or less is more, you know? The Rise of the Dream Warriors. <laughs> it could be, yeah, it could be something like it's 1987. Do you know where Freddy is? There's no waking up from this nightmare. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, Dream Warrior. First Friday, February 27th at a theater near you. Consult local listing. Now, yeah, that was really rough. Kind of well, no, you made you that. made a sequel to, in my opinion, the best Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. If there yeah. was a continuity you had to pick, yeah, I would Warriors definitely pick definitely. that third movie. Because if you think about it, the fourth movie, you kind of went in there strong after the third one. And then within the first 20 minutes, they killed all the Dream Warriors. And we're kind of back to the same plot of a scared girl. But yeah, how about you? What would your pitch be? Because I know you've been working on this as if it was a real script. I worked on it for about an hour today. Yeah, right. This guy texts me, dude, I can't wait to tell you. Well, it's one of those... I got the rights. <laughs> well, you ever have that feeling that, like when you're writing and you're writing something and you're like, this is going pretty good. And then all of a sudden it picks up yeah. and you just get a giant boner while you're writing it. And... <laughs> well, so then what you happened... start writing it with your boner. <laughs> so what happened was like, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. And after hearing Robert England's idea, that's the only idea that really stuck with me. But I was like, I have to do something. I want to do something completely different. Now this would this. be the final nightmare. After yeah. This, so my pitch, the yeah, the, the point of my pitch is that like, let's give Robert England one final round as, as Freddy and let's end it. Let's end the nightmare on Elm street saga. I, I started off, uh, me and you did a serious personal pitch about Halloween years ago. And, we were pretty serious and methodical thinking about it. And that's how I started to think about this pitch. And I wrote about half of it, and I realized that Nightmare on Elm Street isn't like Halloween. Nightmare on Elm Street has laser sounds, corny dialogue, campy special effects. It's got bright colors. It's it's a fun movie. So I'm going to try and make this movie a ridiculous Freddy Krueger film. And with Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare... I mean, that's when it basically became a live-action cartoon. Uh, so I basically wrote the themes throughout this movie. It's ridiculous. It's over-the-top. It's meta. I wrote Mark Millar. Mark Millar is a ridiculous comic book writer. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, it's just like an Elseworlds insanity story. It's like, you're just, this is the last movie. You know, who cares about canon because there's no coming back after this. So this is my Nightmare on Elm Street final sequel. So basically the movie starts off with an homage to the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, we take part in a dream that involves a blonde woman in her mid to late 30s. Uh, her name is Maggie. She's sitting in a beautiful home at a dinner table. And she's eating dinner. And she has a beautiful, lovely family around her. There's a big window, kind of like how your old home was with the big window by the dining table. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she looks out there and it's a beautiful sky. Trust me, this isn't going to be as long as I'm making it. Yeah, well, I already feel outmatched. You have character names, goddammit. Well, no, no, no. Uh, so there's a beautiful sky, birds are chirping, all that stuff. She notices while she's eating and her family's laughing, you know, Hallmark family. Uh, she notices uh, thick, dusty smoke violently blowing. throughout, And the one sunny backyard turns into a dark, fiery hell. She's terrified. She's confused. Uh, her family continues eating and talking unknowingly. She stands up. She runs to the window looking out. She sees off in the distance. She sees a mountain of what looks like bodies and on top and on top of the mountain sits a shadowy silhouette on a throne she turns around in horror she reveals that the beautiful home is now weathered and dark kind of how freddy's home was mm. and her family is now skeletal and they're decayed sitting at the table oh my gosh this is so metal so <laughs> so you get like a scream 
And then that cuts that nightmare sequence. And what is happening is now we cut to Springwood, Ohio. A construction team is excavating. Oh my God. A construction team is excavating an abandoned junkyard because they're making way for condominiums and a, and a strip mall. I take this very seriously. Uh, the construction team comes uh, across skeletal remains in the junkyard. Oh, just like after the third one, they buried them. Mm. So the authorities are called to the scene where they collect the remains and they take them back to the lab to identify them. They identify the remains as Fred Krueger. And the police department contacts Maggie Krueger, who's the deceased's only living contact. Uh, Maggie was Freddy's daughter and Freddy's dead. Mm. So I'm doing a sequel to Freddy's dead. Maggie was also the person that I just mentioned that was having that dream sequence. I'm sold. So now we're told that Maggie lives across country and in an ironic turn... The local authorities report that she was just discovered unresponsive in her bed by a friend by a friend after the call was made. So they called her, told her we found some remains of I assume is your father. Turns out, well, Maggie's, you know, she passed away. She just what passed away. Hell? So they find these remains. They call Freddy Krueger's daughter, essentially. Freddy Krueger's daughter's dead in her bed. She was discovered. Uh, the authorities begin to investigate whether or not these instances are connected or not. And the current lieutenant of Springwood Police recalls how he was promoted from sergeant after a lieutenant thompson was killed in the same place as the remains were discovered because if you remember in dream warriors yes they forced um john saxton lieutenant thompson's character to help bury the remains of freddy krueger in the junkyard so this causes the department to open up a full investigation on fred krueger that includes his life his death and connections between the finding of his remains and the death of his recently reached daughter. As the investigation moves along, it's revealed that the addresses of the previous murder activity have been changed, and there is no longer an Elm Street in, in Springwood. They're looking back into and you know what Freddy Krueger did as the the Springwood, Springwood slasher. slasher. They're looking into that. They're they're saying, oh, you know, he, he murdered kids there. There were some deaths on Elm Street. Well, yeah, Elm yeah. Street's not around anymore. They changed the name of Elm Street. Hmm. Uh, the media takes wind of the story, and they try their hand to unravel the mystery, and the story flows through television, internet, print. The media takes wind of it. It becomes nice. a national story. And because it's a national story, because Freddy Krueger is now being mentioned through television, through social media, spreads across the nation, it's then when children of Springwood begin to wake up screaming in the middle of the night from horrible nightmares. They recall a figure climbing out from a fiery grave, and he shuffles towards them, He's wheezing, he's weak, he coughs up embers, the silhouette, and he softly laughs while in their dreams. You wrote the goddamn script already. Uh, as time passes throughout the film, he gets stronger, he gets faster, he gets louder, and the nightmares start to seem more real. They last longer. And the parents don't have to ask their kids about this because now the parents are getting the nightmares as well, which is something that's different because now adults are getting nightmares along with the children, which means he's growing more powerful. Mm. So essentially... This is when I just started to say, okay, let's make this ridiculous. So this nightmare plague sweeps Springwood. The media renames Springwood the real city that never sleeps. Adults and children begin to die in their sleep. First, it's a death by the month, then the week, then daily. Citizens begin to leave Springwood, but their deaths continue. No matter where they go, these people are being stalked by Freddy Krueger in their dreams and being murdered. The more serious the situation gets, the bigger the story becomes. Suddenly, the name of the Springwood slasher, Fred Krueger, becomes a household name with the help of social media and 24-hour news coverage. Because the whole point of Freddy is he wants more people to know, so he becomes more relevant, he becomes more powerful. That's so awesome. So with the media coverage, the nonstop attention, social media, documentaries, internet memes, everything that has to go with Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger becomes a god of nightmares, which have never been seen. He invades the dreams of anyone and everyone. Children, animals, military, celebrities, politicians. Freddy controls reality as he sees fit. As this begins to become a worldwide state of emergency, religions begin to view it as a sign of the forthcoming apocalypse. As our nation begins to panic, (laughs) the President of the United States, his eyes sunken in, looking completely, you know, he's had no sleep in months, he televises the State of the Union address. And that's when we have Freddy Krueger burst through the President oh, of the United yes. States and into our reality. Now, Freddy Krueger is part of our reality. This Freddy is larger. He's demonic looking. Uh, like kind Demon of, Freddy. Though. The Demon Freddy, kind of from Freddy vs. Jason. Kind of with that new nightmare flair, how they put a muscle suit on Robert yeah, England. Yeah. They made him wear the kind of 
big uh, combat boots, boots and yeah. stuff. Yeah. And with that, the world the world that surrounds us, start, starting at its center, because now the center of the world is going to be Spring Springwood, uh, Ohio, begins to morph into a hellish industrial playground. Wow. He's warping reality because he's become so powerful. The sky rains with fire. The world becomes a cavernous boiler room maze littered with rusty, twisted children's playgrounds. The pyramids, the Roman Colosseum, Stonehenge, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Eiffel Tower, the Christ statue, which is in Rio, which is now Freddy. It's not Christ anymore. It's Freddy putting his arms out. They all morph into a hellish, with a hellish Kruger twist. Freddy Kruger takes over the world. He bursts into reality. He's killed hundreds of thousands of people. Nobody could sleep. How do you fight this? Don't tell me you're going Burnt, to... Burnt demon-like beings dwell in his nightmare world. He essentially has an army that he created of Freddy yet. So, yeah, like, yeah. burnt, hunched-over little creepy demons. Because, essentially, he created a hell on Earth. On, and in the middle of Springwood, on the top of a mountain of victims, sits a giant Emperor Kruger on a man-made throne echoing his r- razor glove, essentially. So, it's like Jeez. a throne of his razor glove. He's, like, 10 feet, 15 feet yeah, tall. Yeah, yeah. His body bursts with souls. Like all, you know, how he, how he, yeah, like he ripped off his, what was that, the second one or so? Where he's got all, yeah, he's got all these souls. He's surrounded by hundreds, hundreds of, and thousands of children that were his past and soon to be victims, playing up the fact that Freddy is this creepy child killer. He basically surrounds himself with children on this mound of bones and dead bodies and whatnot. God. And among those victims are Nancy, Kristen, Kincaid, Maggie, all of his past victims from the previous movies we see among them freddy has satan's head impaled on a playground sign in front of him oh my god and this is his nightmare world and the movie ends with him saying welcome to my world bitch and he he cackles so essentially it's this world building almost like a godzilla movie where we build up to this monster coming yes epic and I figured to make it a true modern movie, I would do a Marvel after credits scene. Oh. So, so it would end with we would get an establishing shot of a foreign country that was that's now part of this nightmare world, and we see these Freddy demons. They're digging through abandoned remnants of what was the human world. And one burnt Freddy demon, he toys with something that he found in the wreckage, and when he toys with it, suddenly blue light emanates. No, you did not. <laughs> through the war-torn walls, these blue light, and dozens of chains hook up through this demon's skin <laughs> that oh, undid yeah. it. Bring out Cenobite. <laughs> uh, the Cenobites step forward, and their leader, Pinhead, stares into the soulless demon, and he says, We've come for the souls of your leader. We have such pleasures to show Fred Krueger. Uh, and that's how it ends. So, oh, would we, so the Nightmare on Elm Street saga yes. would end, but we would have a Emperor Freddy versus, versus the Cenobites fighting over Hell on Earth. Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. They're both trying uh, to take over Earth. So that... I just jizzed all over everything. So that, and I was calling it Freddy's Reign, the Living Nightmare was the name of it. Oh my god. That is beautiful. Just delete mine. <laughs> Jesus. No, I'm not going to delete yours. Let's contact John Saxon. Let's get this thing rolling. <laughs> Why John Saxon? Because he needs work. That's fucking awesome. That's like a Mad Max looking yeah, that's environment. How, yeah. Or, damn, what's that movie? Oh, that video game where Gears of War it reminds me of for some yeah, reason. Sort of, yeah, definitely the environment would be sort of like that. It would be kind of like a Take No Prisoners ridiculous Elseworlds movie. Like, is it canon? Is it not canon? Who cares? It's Freddy Krueger. It's ridiculous. We get Robert, Robert England back as Freddy. That's fucking awesome. So that is my Nightmare on Elm Street pitch. That needs to happen. And I gotta that put it. Insane. I gotta put Hellraiser in it because we were teased with the Freddy vs. Jason alternate ending. Hellraiser needs to be inserted with the Cenobites and whatnot into. That would be Why awesome the hell not? because you you enter his domain when when you do this. You know, uh, Pinhead's gonna be pissed. The people who forgot about Freddy. He comes from hell and he puts a hell on earth, That's a nightmare perfect. world. So that is my treatment of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. So we have a direct sequel to nightmare on elm street 3 which involves kincaid uh training a team of new dream warriors and we have a last hurrah nightmare on elm street movie which involves freddy taking over the world creating a nightmare world i think to be honest i'd love to see both of those that would be pretty cool because they're so different yet i mean yours was just so damn cool yours was cool as well there's nothing whatever yours was yours was yours would definitely bring in well i didn't flesh mine out so that's why i feel stupid 
Because no. this guy had characters. This guy had plot twists. I had and one. Turns. Char- I had one character. So, are you looking forward with a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie? Uh, would you look forward to Robert England's movie if they said tomorrow they're making a new Nightmare tomorrow. on Elm Street, going with that Robert England idea? Would you be looking forward to it? Would you be happy about it? I would be happy because we need more Freddy. They need to do it the way the fans want it. And if if the the man himself has an idea, that means he's actually thinking about it more than normal you know what i mean he yeah to, definitely he had to be sitting somewhere conjure up this idea got him excited so why not just you know roll the dice and do it bring back a franchise because the 80s are back yeah. again you know stranger things make it a, a a movie series along those lines exactly so that was our little fandom homage to nightmare on elm street freddy krueger the monster that kind of started it for us we definitely bonded over freddy krueger in our youth so nightmare on elm street for life dream warriors for life Let's move on to something a little different. I mean, it's Halloween after all. We talked earlier in the podcast, Eric, you said that you felt that Halloween was dying, Yeah, I did. I did say that. And what I mean is I don't see a lot of decorations. I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, especially at work. And this this season itself, with all the drama that has happened so far with us personally, and it just felt like it just, we were talking about it. I closed my eyes and all of a sudden it's here. Just, it seemed like it was rushed. So that's what we'd like to talk uh, to supplement the show a little bit. There comes a time in every horror fan's life, every Halloween celebrator's life, yeah. where you get a little older, you are you know, you can't really fit into that costume, you look a little awkward trick-or-treating. So Halloween kind of takes a dip in terms of the way you celebrate. There's an exception to the rule. I mean, maybe some families, some people keep up that great tradition. But for me personally, for you, I think Eric personally, there is a year where Halloween just kind of feels like it's dead for a while. So Eric, what would you say if you could describe what is your story, what is the year, what was the time where you feel like you outgrew Halloween? I think it was like 05, 06, and I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. I think I was with my brother. I was with my brother, and I think I was with a friend of his. They wanted to go out, so my brother, I think, had a scream costume. I'm not sure what the other girl wore. It was, I think it was his girlfriend. And I didn't know what to wear. And it, I mean... It was October, so I was still I was playing football. Yeah. So I just put my football costume on with cleats. I put a Brett Favre jersey on and my helmet. And I remember just putting on the helmet, looking at myself in the mirror with my shoulder pads, and I'm like, "This is stupid. I feel like an idiot." Because of what? Because of the football outfit, or because you were actually? Going... I was I was not interested. I was just like, you know, this is stupid. I didn't even think about a horror movie. I didn't do this. It was yeah. just like. I feel like I was forced to do it, to go okay. out and hang out with, with everybody, and uh, I just felt uncomfortable. I, I even think I, I went home early because they just went off to do whatever they wanted to do. It was lame. It was the lamest feeling during ho- Halloween, and that was uh, that was just a very dark moment during this blessed holiday. Did you appreciate Halloween as much around that age? Or is it something that now that we're adults that we kind of look back, and we look back with kind of rose-tinted glasses on the Halloweens of our youth, or... You know, because of our interests, obviously that elevates the holiday. But would you right. say that? Would you say that you just felt like you outgrew it, or you no, outgrew the I w- traditions? I would say, to be honest, with Halloween, I went through that gray that gray period, and uh, I was just in a funk. And is when I met Holly, you know, uh, that's when it really kicked off. And I w- eventually, you know, yeah. a few months later, we would all hang out and we would dress up and stuff and do gore and stuff. And I guess uh, it was only what like eight and a half years ago that. Uh, Halloween really picked up again because yeah it was just it was getting dry and boring and I wasn't uh, adventurous so I wasn't going to parties I wasn't drinking I wasn't um, doing makeup I wasn't yeah. like, hanging out and stuff so th- that's probably why it, like it was boring because I just wasn't doing shit how about you you got to find the right people I mean it's a lot like Christmas where it's like Christmas by yourself isn't going to be the best Christmas you know Christmas is about friends loved ones togetherness yeah Halloween's that same idea except you're celebrating kind of sick and darker things. More right, that's why things. I like Halloween because it's like the, the creativity behind it, the spookiness. I mean, I love the feeling. 
And uh, yeah, I guess you know, with Holly and with you and with um, with other people, it's a lot more enjoyable. Friends in Halloween make it a better season. How about you though? What, this was your idea, so I imagine you have some. I do. Uh, uh, of a story. The last episode, I mentioned my shitty Ghost Rider costume. Yes. We were talking about our favorite costume. I mentioned how I handmade a shitty Ghost Rider costume. That was the year that I outgrew Halloween. So what happened was, it was freshman year in high school. I don't know what year that was exactly. I made this Ghost Rider costume. I remember Halloween was coming up. My favorite thing about Halloween is researching and thinking about what I want to be. Right. I remember it was my first year in high school, freshman year. I felt like I was the only one doing that. I remember I would ask acquaintances i can't really call them friends they were just people that were in my classes you know what, what are you gonna for yeah what are you dressing up what are you gonna be for halloween and they would kind of look at me like i wasn't speaking english you know because now that was lame and that was stupid so you know i thought nothing of it and i went together and i made this ghost rider costume <laughs> and in your head you were like this is gonna be fucking radical. yeah yeah and i put it together and i was proud of it looking back it sounds really stupid but it was a cool costume i made um, so I put it together, and I remember it was Halloween night, and I went out, and I wanted to go trick-or-treating. I didn't have anyone to go trick-or-treating with. It was hard making friends that first year of high school. I remember I dressed up, I went out into my neighborhood, and I remember it was especially dark for Halloween, and especially cold. Hmm. Like, the night didn't want to welcome me whatsoever, <laughs> and there was nobody on the street. And I thought, I'm going to go out, there's going to be trick-or-treaters, it's going to be cool, it's going to be Halloween. Hmm. I remember I went out and there wasn't a soul on the street and it seemed especially dark. So your Halloween, it was dark out and spooky. <laughs> it was it was dark. There was nobody around. I remember walking down the street. There wasn't a soul. I remember I passed one little kid. It looked like he was wearing a garbage bag. I was very depressed. And I remember I didn't even go trick-or-treating, didn't go to a single house. I walked back into my home, took my costume off, and had a nice long cry into a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sucks when you hit that, uh, that moment because... You know, it's like super self-aware, and you just feel like an ultimate idiot. Yeah, and then you go through that age where it sort of becomes ironic, like, oh, dress up, haha, <laughs> we're kooky, uh, you know, right. and then you start doing it, and, and then you, it just becomes fun. Condescending, yeah. It's weird, because it does spike. You have this, like, as a youth, you're like, fuck yeah, and then when you're in your high school, you know, age, whatever, you're kind of like, this is stupid, look at all these idiots doing it, I don't like candy, I like beer. <laughs> and then in college, you're, it comes back, you know, you dress up, you get goofy, and you drink. Yeah. And you have more fun. Exactly. Alrighty, let's shift gears. Uh, we're coming to the end of this very special Halloween episode, but we also got in some listener mail, do we not, Eric? Ladies and gentlemen, we have Marcos Chavez once again with an awesome question because he's the only one that listens. <laughs> we love you, Marcos. Marcos says, Frankenstein is one of those properties that is very tough to pull off. If we could pitch a version, what would we do? Would we keep it modern? Would we keep it in the period that it takes place in? Marcos himself said he would have the whole story from the view of the British police, newspapers, and journalists during that era. It's a very cool uh, aspect. When he said that, I immediately mm-hmm. imagined an Alan Moore graphic novel. Yes, definitely. I get that feeling. Yeah. Almost like a, it would almost be like a Law and Order Frankenstein. Ooh, like how, how creepy would that hey, be? Hey, Marcos, you should definitely try to write that out because that's a pretty badass idea. Yeah. Very cool because you can, you can even incorporate you know, modern affairs at that time when it was written. What I would do, and I've thought about a Frankenstein story because it is, you know, public domain, if yeah. you will. I've already thought this idea. It would be a slasher film. Um, it would take place right after the original Frankenstein, how Frankenstein's monster walks off into the Arctic Circle or whatever. Yeah. And basically he encounters uh, one of the first expeditions to the Arctic Circle, and uh, he is basically a fucking psychopath, and he just wants to kill humans. So it's Halloween meets uh, the Thing, I guess, without the aliens, where they're in the, you know, the North Pole. Yeah. So he basically he's a slasher villain. 
and he kills people, kills these uh, scientists and these explorers. How about you? What would you do? Well, I think what I would do is I would do a more modern Frankenstein, um, and I think I'd make him like almost like a soldier where he has to fight like a gargoyle army. Oh no! <laughs> Holy shit! And he's got a six pack. And I think it should just be an all-out action extravaganza. You know who I think should play him? Who? Aaron Eckhart. You ever hear? Of him? Oh my god, that is such a good choice. He is the next Arnold Schwarzenegger. Aaron I think it, if we need any type of Frankenstein, it would be a butt-chinned, six-packed action hero. Absolutely. Frankenstein. But in in all honesty, if I could, I mean, it's a non-creative answer, but I would just do like a full-on page-by-page interpretation of the book. That's a miniseries. Because nobody's well, really done that, yeah, and, well, and the people who well, have omit a lot Penny of things. Dreadful really, really tickles that. Yeah, you always tell me to, to you watch that. You gotta see it. The first season is the best Frankenstein I've ever seen. Yeah, so the, I mean, that's how I would do it. So you, your choice is more creative, and I think it's pretty cool. Mine's more uh, Mary Shelley's classic, but yeah, that's how that's that's our answer. Beautiful, man. Great question. So keep them coming. Good, good. And now for a smoke, smoke. You try. Oh. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> so let's wrap up this special Halloween episode of It's Alive. We have a pretty cool convention coming up, don't we? Hell yeah. Days of the Dead, which is a national convention. It's finally hitting our town in November, and it's got some insane guests. It's got including. Alice Cooper. How cool is that? Yeah, he's uh, apparently it's really rare for Alice Cooper to do these. Right, Freddy Krueger's father himself. <laughs> yes. We also have Ray Park, who's known for Darth Maul, or Toad from the X-Men. We also have the blood bag himself, Nature Boy. 16 time. Woo! I'm a god. G-O-D. Ric Flair himself is going to be there, because when you think of horror, you think, think of Ric, Ric Flair. Flair. I think Ric Flair has spilled more blood in the ring. Than any other slasher in the world. Definitely. I think you can give him a run for the money. We also have Judge Reinhold, that among other really things. Cool because he was in everything from the 80s and the early 90s. Yeah, definitely. He was in everything. Anthony Michael Hall. You gotta love him from uh, Dead Zone. Dead Zone, Weird Science, Shannon Elizabeth, uh, from 13 Ghosts and American Pie, Christy Swanson, the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Tony Todd. Candyman. The Candyman. Finally. Chris Sarandon, who uh, was from the Fright vampire Night. from Fright Night. He was also the detective in Child's Play. Yep, yep. Uh, Sid Haig, of course, who we seen last year. I think he may or may not be dressing up, which would be really cool. It would be awesome. A- from A Thousand Corpses. Bill Mosley, of course. But yeah, Days of the Dead convention in November. It's going to be awesome. It's going to have some great panels, I'm sure. We've seen a lot of great panels last year. Uh, that included Sid Haig. That included uh, Jaws and stuff. So I look forward to peeing. Yeah, me and Chris took a piss uh, next to the Jaws. Like I look forward writer. to I wonder who I'm going to pee next to this year. Maybe everybody. Maybe everybody. Maybe we can all pee together. I wonder how much that would cost. So uh, I would say that about does it for this episode of It's Alive. Would you say that, Eric? It does. This is uh, our first Happy Halloween episode. Uh, it's not too crazy. We envisioned ourselves doing something different. Well, but... some personal things came up. Yeah. It happens. We're going to be around for a while, right? <laughs> so we could do it for next Hell Halloween. Yeah. As always, you have multiple ways to contact us on social media. You have Facebook.com slash It's Alive Podcast, where you can post on our wall, like us to get updates on the show and other fun horror tidbits. We're also on the Twitter machine at It's Alive Pod. That's It's Alive P-O-D. We also have our website, itsalivepodcast.com, where you can contact us. We also have an email address, Eric. What's our email address? It's Alive Pod, P-O-D. It's Alive Pod at (laughs) gmail.com. And of course, I mean, one of the most fun things we did this episode was we pitched our own Nightmare on Elm Street sequels. Do you have a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel remake idea that you have been sitting on for a while you want to share? By Let all means. Let because uh, we got an in with, uh, with Wes Craven. <laughs> too soon it's a little too soon for that but any questions any facts uh, you want to correct us because we talk pretty stupid half the time we don't really give a shit we don't give a shit we don't really back up our ideas we're laid back by all means write us in send us your hate mail as eric always says so that about does it for this episode of it's alive the halloween edition i guess you would say yeah the first annual halloween episode so i would say to everyone out there our millions of listeners have billions a happy of listeners, billions i'm sorry if you're thinking about aliens have a happy and safe halloween and we'll definitely be around year-round to bring you more halloween and horror goodness so with that being said we're gonna close you out with a little bit of spooky halloween music to get you in the mood this has been it's alive episode nine i am chris Oh, I'm Eric.
the head.